Welcome to Straight Outta Health IT. Getting into health tech is rough, but here's an unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers covering a wide variety of issues affecting healthcare and the health tech industry. And now your host, Christopher Cunney. Hello, everyone. This is Christopher Cunney again, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Health IT. I'm, again, so excited to have on the program today an amazing woman who has a very interesting story and journey uh, that I think all of you are going to appreciate uh, as we have this conversation with her today. Dr. Mary Branch, MD and MS. She is the department head of cardio-oncology at Cone Health. Let me just take a few minutes to give you a, an overview of her background, and then we'll get her on the show and, and have her share her story and what she's passionate about today. Dr. Mary Branch is a fourth-generation African-American-born physician from Cleveland, Ohio, but she was raised in Youngstown. She actually left home at 14 to attend a very prestigious New England prep school where she gained a lot of her insights and passions, I think, for healthcare as well. And she'll share a little more detail about that. She set out on a mission to identify really what her unique gifts were to serve her community. And she continues down that path. And I always say life's a journey and not a destination. So we're always evolving and trying to find those things we're passionate about. And it sounds like Dr. Branch is doing the same. She was formally educated at Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine of Case Western Reserve University. Uh, she completed her and she received her master's actually from Wake Forest University as well. She continued her studies, uh, and I'll let her uh, give you a little more detail on that at two major uh, healthcare teaching facilities, uh, both the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Her, she had studied and uh, had a fellowship in cardio, cardiovascular disease at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center as well. Interesting enough, uh, she was born to two American, uh, African-American parents who's, and her mother was an infectious disease physician and her father was a lawyer. She goes on to say, say that the, now, although it sounds like she was uh, a carbon copy of the Cosbys, it wasn't quite th that way. Uh, unfortunately, like many families today, her parents uh, divorced. Although that happened, she, uh, her mom uh, actually remarried and she was actually raised by her stepdad, which again, she can share more details on that, who was actually a famous artist, professor, and uh, well-known at Town Hero. Interesting enough, her journey in, in medicine was met with many bumps in the road, and I'm sure she'll share a lot more detail of that. You know, after years of medical research, after years of research in medical school, she uh, didn't get a res res residency position, and she actually had to fight her way back into medicine. She continued to believe that she belonged in medicine and had a purpose there, and continued to focus on making that a reality. Now, after two years of working in Harvard Lab with four hundred thousand dollars in debt. She made her way back. Uh, and again, I want to hear that story in a lot more detail. She started her medical training with opioid with the opioid pandemic in Pittsburgh, and she persisted and transferred to North Carolina uh, for the person that she loved and continued to work there. She finished her residency at uh, the University of Chapel Hill, and then she went on to cardio cardiology or, or fellowship as the first African-American female in that program. Congratulations. 
Of course, throughout that journey, she's experienced bias, inhumanity, and challenges of motherhood. Her father unfortunately succumbed to rapid dementia and her stepdad passed away one year later. And then COVID hit, oh my God, just talk about you know back-to-back -back challenges and difficulties. And we wanna hear more about that. She actually chose to, through all of that to take accountability and grow herself before healing. While doing that, she actually unfortunately herself had some a nervous breakdown and found herself uh, going back on the journey of recovery through therapy. And so uh, again, we wanna delve into some of that as well too. And yet throughout all of that, she was able to earn her master's of science degree and is now considered an internationally recognized budding cardio-oncologist cardio and is now leading that effort at Cone Health. Welcome again to the program, Dr. Branch. What an amazing story. Like I've said in many of my programs, that's your resume. Now we want to hear your journey. So I would love for you to, first of all, take a few minutes just to fill in some of the, the, the blanks in that resume and talk a little bit about, you know, your passion for healthcare, what got you into it, and some of the things that we highlighted in your resume. Provide a little more context around that, you know, the challenges you experienced, the counseling you received, and, and then just where you are in terms of your focus around uh, your passion in the industry today. Sure. That's was an amazing overview. I don't think I've ever had such a picture painted in that way. I think you did an excellent job really sort of describing uh, my journey. So how I started off, I was born, as I mentioned, two parents, kind of like the Cosby show. Um, we actually at one point lived in Minnesota in the 80s during the Prince era. It was a time of just, you know, we had, we were financially very stable. It was sort of a happy home sort of initially. And I grew up around just sort of Black excellence. It wasn't sort of a question. It was more of an expectation. Of course, not only were you going to pursue your education, but more than likely you were going to pursue graduate education. So a lot of these things were just, it wasn't like, well, if you make it or this, you know, it was just, this is part of part of the group. This is part of our culture. This sure. is who we are. I can imagine so, four, four generations of physicians. I, I mean, that's just part for the course. You're expected to continue. Indeed, which is... Which can be good and bad, right? Because right, right. now your expectations can be very hard. And, you know, when they came around, they had their challenges. But certainly Absolutely. that doesn't take away from each generation having their own unique uh, challenges kind of based on the era that, that you've come into. But there's a lot of sort of uh, similarities. So, again, my grandmother is very well known in the South. She was a mathematician. She uh, taught calculus. She was a professor. She was also a politician, one of the first African-American politician and the local city council here in Winston-Salem. So again, you know, these are just sort of a lot of highlights, a lot of people who are really making changes. So I knew that this was this was the path for me. I want to move the needle. I want to bring change. But how am I going to do that specifically? So exactly. I grew up, my parents separated, uh, they divorced. You know, the situation didn't work. It worked out well on paper, but not necessarily in the home, right? Sure. And so in the early 1990s, we, my mom, uh, we went to Youngstown, Ohio, kind of abruptly, just sort of left the whole scene into a completely different scene without any kind of explanation or understanding. It's just, this is the new reality for you, essentially. Exactly. And so I uh, grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, sort of near LeBron country, very blue collar, very hardworking Americans. And we had a nice sort of community 
where, you know, you knew the police, you knew people at the store, you knew everyone at the grocery store. I mean, it was just sort of a nice community to grow up in where you can look out for one another. Sure. And it's one of those utopias where, you know, in terms of race, I know in a lot of other communities, people can, there can be like a misconception and someone calls the police and things can really escalate. But uh, the nice thing about Youngstown, Ohio, is that we, at least in the sort of the township that I lived in, those scenarios didn't necessarily play out because we were looking out for each other and making sure that families were being called and that people were being involved and making sure that everybody's kids were doing okay. Exactly. So the kind um, of the value would, system back then as well, too. I can yeah. I, I grew up in the deep south and yeah, I, I can I can think of maybe on two occasions where there was some sense of, you know, bias as I was growing up. But you know, right. I grew up in a community very similar to that as well, where everyone kind of looked after each other, whether you were black or white or whatever. Uh, it was just right. culture. Right. And that's very possible. I mean, my grandmother grew up in the 1920s. She's 104. And wow. even when she grew up in Davie County, North okay. Carolina, she grew up kind of, it was essentially the plantation land of, you know, her great-great-grandfather was a, a slave owner. Right. And he had children with his slaves. And so the the family continued to develop and there were sort of the white Kimbros and the black Kimbros. Exactly. But they still did look out for each other. And so if they did something wrong, someone would say, oh, are you Buck Kimbrough's kid? Like, you know better than that. You know, right. it wasn't, I'm taking you to jail and now you're, you know, your career's ruined and things like that. So these utopias are are possible. I do hope that that's something, I think health related is extremely important to understand that you, you we all are part of a community and we're, we're all sort of responsible for looking out for each other. So right. in Youngstown, things were getting kind of tough though, kind of in the inner city uh, portions of it. Uh, there were a lot of drugs. A lot of people were getting kind of pregnant early um, just because of that was sort of the expectation sometimes because there wasn't as much emphasis on higher education. I was very privileged in that sense. And so my mom thought, well, you know, I think maybe it'd be better to kind of get out of this environment and pursue my academics because that's something that I was very, very focused on um, because that was a constant, right? That was a constant in my life. Um, Family life was up in the air. I was different. I actually integrated a a Jewish school. Oh, interesting. because that was the only private school in the area. So I was the first, you know, black to integrate the school. I, we learned Hebrew in the, in the beginning of the first half and then the second half with math and science and things like that. So I kind of grew up in the Jewish faith in sure. a way. And that was part of my community as well. Exactly. Um, and, and they took me in. I was different. I obviously noticed difference. So, you know, the first time obviously was when we learned about slavery. Right. And for them, you know, they said, okay, you know, we, they took people, they went across the ocean, and then they were enslaved. And I thought, wow, that is so sad that this happened. I'm really internalizing it, right? That was my my journey, my people, and not really understanding the brutality of all of that and the psychological impact it's had on our community as well. It, it was always kind of sanitized in our ed- yeah. education system. Yeah. And we're not always prepped for it, you That's know, because right. I was nine, and that was a shock. Like, what? <laughs> Because where I grew up, you know, my grandmother was talking about mathematicians and scientists. Like, what is this? Exactly. You know, and so I, it was a shock. And I kind of knew that I was, I was only nine. So race, you know, race is a a social construct within the United States. So, and it's sort of a hierarchy and understanding part of the, the sort of the the game in a way. So I did, I wasn't very clear on that Mm -hmm. at that time. Right. You know, my hair was different. I'm very fair skinned. So the only thing that differentiated me from the other kids is that my hair was very different. Exactly. But 
Um, but now there's this there's this huge wedge in our history. You know, they did have the Holocaust, but this was something different. So I was very distraught and I looked around and everybody was staring at me. And I thought, well, why aren't they upset that this happened to people? I don't get it. Right. And and then I kind of dawned on me, this happened to black people. Absolutely. So absolutely. It's different now. It, it very is very much so. And, and you know, so fast forward, you know, you uh, you know, you graduate from this prestigious school and now you're trying to figure out your life career. You want to practice medicine. Um, yeah. You, or you make that decision at some point. Talk a little bit yeah. about that journey as well, too, because it sounds like you've had some some uh, challenges and some triumphs as a, as a part of that journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So fast forward, um, ended up going to prep school in New England. It's got a great education there. Went to Smith College, which is a school sort of for women leadership. And while I was there, you know, I was kind of dabbling around what, you know, what do I want to do? And I ended up going to a program, you know, through privileged knowledge uh, at Yale, where they focused on people of color who wanted to go into medical school. Right. So it was called SMEP back then. Um, SME, uh, um, I think it's SMDEP now. Uh, but we were just, kind of, it was just us, just students of color interested in medicine at Yale. Uh, they were like, here's the strategy to go to medical school. This is what you need to do. So I knew that I wanted to go into medicine because of the people. The people were dynamic. They were diverse. They had um, a diverse sense of interests. And these are the people that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with because I didn't see a job as a job. It's This is a lifestyle. This is a exactly. career. This is, this is my life. So decided that medicine was the, the role for me, but I was going to create my own spin and not just kind of be a carbon uh, copy kind of, of, of former generations. And then from there, I uh, took the MCAT a couple times. I tend to overthink a lot. And so I'm not the best <laughs> test taker. Right. But that says <laughs> a not. lot, right? Yeah, that says a lot. You know, you can be a very smart person, know yourself, yeah. but standardized tests don't always work for everyone. They don't. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you have a conversation with me and we talk about it, I can tell you, you know, the concepts and we can go through it. And that's just how I talk and learn. And I do well clinically with patients. Sure. But I overthink on tests. Well, it could be this, but it could be that. But I, you know, it's just also my Libra sense too. So anyway, so I, took right. it, <laughs> I took it a couple of times and I said, you know, these are the, here are the numbers that you really need. And it is a numbers game. So I said, okay, well, out of the three, it hit the number that they needed. I have a, a broad uh, palette of other things that I do. I volunteer. I started a pre-med organization uh, for, for um, women of color. And so, you know, this is it. So I ended up going to medical school at Case Western. Things went pretty well, but some of the struggles, I would say, uh, at medical school were really centered around feedback. And I think the Harvard Business Publications talked about this specifically with women uh -huh. in higher spaces. So essentially expound, expound on that a little bit more yeah so the the biggest issue i would have was during feedback session so so what would happen was with sometimes with men men would give me sometimes constructive feedback like here this is something tangible and actionable that you can do during mm -hmm. your presentation right. make sure that you are more clear when you are stating the problem and just state one problem and give your differential and then give your bullet points, right? So that's something actionable. Sure. That's something I can do. That's something that I can develop to be better. Right. With women, either there was just an awkward energy and they didn't like it. I could just kind of tell from their energy that they weren't comfortable me being there. And it was any race of woman, honestly. Yeah. And when we would get in the room for feedback, the feedback 
would lead me into a spiral of mental gymnastics. And it was very distracting. And, and I would become very distraught because again, medicine was my constant, right? right? And authority and doing well was also just my way of receiving love, honestly. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Because that's how I received love growing up. You sure. do well, we'll give you affection. Exactly. Exactly. So, so talk to us a little bit more about, and then I do want to, uh, cause I'm going to ab- absolutely have to have you back cause we're not going to cover everything we I want to talk about today, but so talk to me about also obviously going to school as a, uh, as a female in medical school mm-hmm. and challenges, mm-hmm. some of the challenges you mentioned, but also yeah. as you know, the LGBTQ community and you know the impact that any of that journey in life had on uh, on on you and just in general yeah definitely and just briefly going back to the last point just the last portion of sure. it is that it just a lot of the the feedback was very abstract mm-hmm. and i would really want to encourage it's kind of like a devil wears Prada moment. It was like, it's nothing you could do was sort of enough. And the feedback was, well, you're too confident or, you know, things that, that weren't actionable. So those are things I struggled with. And those are the things that led to sort of a lot of mental gymnastics and was distracting and, and distressful sure. and it may have led to, to not matching ultimately. But um, also my strategy wasn't very good, but I was just sort of lost at that point. But right. anyway, so going back to your point about kind of moving forward and how the LGBTQ community has impacted my role. So uh, I went to Smith College in 2003 to 2007. So Smith, I would say, is at least 30% probably identify themselves as um, lesbian, but we had the, the gamut certainly of that entire community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were very free to, to really express themselves from a gender perspective. So certainly there were a lot of folks that were transgender and that was a lot of their plight right. and that they fought a lot for that particular equity. So that was a way for me to see people fighting for their rights, kind of like, you know, in the 60s where you would go to uh, school and you would be in sort of an African-American organization. This was sort of a similar thing where I can see it kind of in real time, how people are fighting for their rights. So uh, I learned a lot. It was a bubble too, right? It was a little bit of a bubble because it was a little bit of a bubble, I think as well, because you were in an environment where it was really accepting, you know, you had a large majority of, a a large percentage of folks who identify, you know, with uh, that sexual organ, those sexual orientations. And it yeah. wasn't necessarily, you know, not, not accepted. It was actually embraced, I would imagine, based on what you're describing. Further, I mean, that was the culture. So where right. you felt awkward being heterosexual, right. or not heterosexual, yeah, yeah, you felt uh, sick, you know, you felt awkward being kind of cis right. and being, yeah, heterosexual. Right. But so... I I was grateful that I had exposure to different ideas of gender because when I grew up, I never really thought of myself like female meant you have limitations. I have four brothers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so that label meant you can't drive the John Deere. We're very country. (laughs) Right. You're not driving the John Deere. You can't do this and that. So, but I never, I never subscribed to that. I said, I like to play football. That doesn't make me a tomboy. So, so Smith was great because I was able to embrace that. I was embrace leadership without the label of gender. Now, the tough part also was I was starting a pre-med organization for African-Americans and it seemed like it was almost a zero sum in terms of what you can sort of promote and what you can't and what they're going to really back up and what they're not. And so it almost becomes kind of a, a 360 sort of a, an animal farm scenario where it's like, well, you 
guys sometimes could be just as oppressive as everybody else when I'm trying to get more women of color into medicine. Exactly. Wow. Um, so you you were you were dealing with you know challenges on multiple fronts. You know whether it was yeah. uh, generally as a gender, you know as fr from your you know sexual orientation to now your racial identity, all right. to be acknowledged, uh, advocated for. Uh, and navigate it, the biases, navigating the biases, as you also try to go and get a secure degree in a very difficult subject matter as well, too. Absolutely. And I just, you know, and I was so privileged, though, because I knew my foundation. I knew right. my roots. Sure. Like, you can't, nobody could convince me that I couldn't because it's right. in my DNA. Exactly. Yeah, you had, so, you had role yeah. models and examples, you know, generations of them that overcame right. those challenges uh, that served as a foundation for you. Right. So I was privileged in that sense. I could call my mom. She, you know, was infectious disease. She grew up in the 70s. That was mm -hmm. clearly a very different era. HIV had just come into play and she saw a lot of sort of discriminatory practices with, you know, patients and just physicians just dismissing uh, Black women and things. So right. she dealt with a lot, certainly. So um, I, you know, was privileged to have somebody to say, you know, it's, you know, this is this is this is how things are it's okay you know you can continue to proceed you know obviously we're we're very similar and so exactly. you can continue to proceed in medicine yeah right um so so i was lucky in that sense so fast forward you know now yeah. you're you you've gone through your formal education uh right. now you're you know pursuing you know, your residency and you talked about some of the challenges of motherhood talk, yeah. talk a little bit about that and then you know obviously you felt things became overwhelming for you yeah. and you needed to see yeah. some some support and so i you know i yeah. i thought we were going to talk about a completely different subject but this is <laughs> more important now that i want to cover this yeah. and then i'm going to bring you back and we're going to talk about other the other thing but this that is, sounds great this is something i want to deal draw, draw, uh to get more insight on yeah and i appreciate that so much just Absolutely. to have a voice because I, I think there are other women that, that could this will resonate with and i appreciate you for this sure so in terms of motherhood so i started my internal medicine res so i was at upmc in pittsburgh got back on the horse did research and then finally was able to get back into medicine decided that internal medicine was the route for me instead of pediatrics so Working that out, things are going great. I'm feeling good. I met someone during that time period, friend of the family, and we were getting close. And I said, well, you know, if I'm kind of in my 30s now, the only, it's probably a good idea for us to be in the same place. So mm -hmm. I actually ended up transferring residencies. I had a very supportive program director who was a woman as well and who understood some of the challenges that we may face as women in medicine. And a lot of times age gets, can be there. There's a lot of, I think there's, high rates of just infertility in women sure, because we're waiting so long. And so they were very, you know, I think mindful of that. And I said, sure, go ahead, come on down, you know, to UNC. So that was, it was very challenging, but it was a great experience to have two different experiences within my training. And then I, we decided to get married. And so I had this sort of fantasy. I'm in the fantasy. I'm getting married. I'm in medicine. Everything's perfect. And so kind of when I was wrapped up in the fantasy, I said, okay, well, why don't I get pregnant? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Right. Why not? Right. Yeah. We're all in fantasy land now. But honestly, you know, I grew up just focusing on medicine and, and focusing on academics. I didn't right. know anything about relationships, sure. about raising a child, about the impact and the implications of that. Exactly. You know, I Sacrifices. really was. 
The sacrifice. The sacrifice. Yes. Yes. The time that you have to take. Okay. You when you have a child, there is something you have to step back. That's right. You know, it's very hard to not step back from what you're doing. But for me, I'm a freight train. I'm going. Exactly. <laughs> and so <laughs> now, personality, like, right? Yes. Yeah, so now I'm like, well, uh, I got pregnant and still think because things tend to just work out for me, right? Sure, sure. I didn't match, but I still sure. made it. It's exactly. gonna work out. We're right. fine. So, but you know, baby came and she's a force. Her birthday is tomorrow. She's oh, a Leo. Happy birthday <laughs> to to her. She's four, and it was just one of the greatest challenges. One. I wasn't offered maternity leave. So not only was it something I was struggling with on my own, I now moved to a different state with someone else's family away from my own family. So I didn't really have people around me to talk to about what this was going to be like and how to set up more help. So I'm scrambling to get help. And then, but with my job, I'm so focused and dedicated to that. But while I was there, there was no, no one said, here's maternity leave. This is the time you can take to do X, Y, and Z, or here's the time allotted for you to have. I was getting my master's during fellowship. So I was getting my master's and nursing at the same time and postpartum, you know, during this period. A a glutton for punishment. (laughs) I am. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Hence hence therapy. (laughs) Exactly. you know, but so, again, so what triggered you know, what yeah. triggered what triggered yeah the fact that you the, felt like you needed to seek some seek professional it. advice? Or sure. So so I was giving my all 110 percent on every front as a mother. I had to try to be the best, stay up all night, do everything I can on my own a lot of times. But then you know I incorporated my former uh, spouse, you know, kind of picked up and helped uh, further on. But then also, you know, trying to be the best as a wife. And then I go to fellowship, trying to be the best cardiology fellow, trying to give them everything I had. Because again, that's how I get affection. That's how I get seek love is that I'm doing well, right? Exactly. And then everything's okay. And then, you know, my grandmother lives here. So I'm trying to give her everything. So I was trying to give everybody everything. I'm trying and trying and trying. And then I just, you know, one day I just kind of was in a, a tailspin. And I was just like, you have to stop trying. This sure. is this is not okay. And so I just sort of just was extremely distraught. My spouse at the time was very concerned. And he just said, I'm going to take you to the emergency room. And so there was an ambulance that came to the house. My child was crying. And I have, you know, mental health issues within my family. Right. You know, my, my father, I think, had depression. Sure. His mother died young and she yeah. was in a mental institution, but I don't know why right. or what happened, but I just know that she died very young at 45. Yeah. So I knew this was something that would plague me throughout my life. And I, I made a decision that if it ever impacted my child, then that's when I would seek help. Sure. That's, um, that's and, great that you were self-aware yeah. and recognized it. And saw yeah. that help. And I tell you, girl, yeah. I, I, that's it. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. I, tell you, I get because, it. I got you. Because your, your, your story is so similar to even my own. I come from wow. a, a three generations of educators. My yeah. mother was a principal. Uh, yeah. You know, we had this, you know, this foundation of excellence in our family. We grew up in, yeah. a, my p- parents grew up on a farm. And so yeah. I had that experience, you know, as well, too. And then just the challenges of meeting those expectations that were laid, right. foundational expectations that were laid upon you at a young right. age. And, and then trying to 
not only achieve those, but overachieve, right? You know, I need yeah. to be better and, and do more than the last generation. Correct. And, and those pressures that have been placed upon you to do that. And then I had a, 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 a mental illness in my family as well, too. We never mm-hmm. really talked about it. What was wrong? Right. Not, you know, Susie and, and it was always right. kind of quiet. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to be self-aware, recognize that when you're uh, when you're in that place where yeah. you feel like you're losing control or you can't balance life effectively, it's so important to say that's OK, you know, and yeah. You need to go seek help so you can know how to manage life better. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I just I wanted to follow up on that promise that I made to myself. And I didn't want to give into a void. Sure. Because my father, who had depression, was an alcoholic. Exactly. And what led to his rapid dementia and his death was alcohol. Absolutely. Hey, so I just Dr. Branch, I, yeah, I, we yeah. have literally four minutes. I, I, you know, <laughs> and I gotta have you back on the podcast. So uh I'm, yeah. we haven't even touched on, you know, any of the uh, of the, the pursuits and things. A, a, exactly. Yeah. Which we, we want what this is again, I think hopefully will bless other people. He just hearing your story and yeah. the fact that you know, someone who's achieved so much, you know, this didn't come easy. It came in a no. problem. You know, and it's important for people to hear that story so that they know how to uh, that they're not different, unusual, uh, that, you Mm -hmm. know, life presents these difficulties. There's ways to try to navigate them and mitigate them. So. Right. And set expectations and know that. Yeah. Knowing that can be messy sometimes, but that's the expectation. But you can continue to pursue your mission. Right. So so one minute. (laughs) Can you quickly share with us your role, what you're doing, your passion? Yeah. Absolutely. We'll bring you back on and we'll do more detail on that. Yeah. So thank God I found something that I really love. So um, I shadow cardiologist. I love cardiology because it matched who I was, a very versatile uh, uh, role. And I um, fell into the idea of taking care of people with cancer because mm-hmm. I thought that was very meaningful. And I felt like I'm really practicing medicine when I am having family meetings and talking to people about uh, their health in that uh, from that uh, perspective. So I got into cardio-oncology, was very fortunate that it was a, a very pivotal period for cardio-oncology. It was in its infancy when I first learned about it. And so now I've been able to be one of the uh, sort of known uh, folks within cardio-oncology just because of the, the timing and also my dedication to it since residency until now. So I will... I joined a private practice and I said, well, this is my interest. You all don't have a department. I'm happy to start small and build it. And they said, great. And so um, now I am beginning to uh, lean into that role. I think a lot of my past experiences will help me be a great leader. Absolutely. And I look forward to taking care of folks with cancer and preventing heart disease and having in this next chapter, having a little bit more uh, peace and joy on this journey. Well, thank you so much. Dr. Branch, for sharing your story, your journey in life. And as I said earlier, life's a journey and not a destination. Indeed. You've given us uh, an update on where you are at this point. I am going to have you back for us to do a deeper dive in your passions and pursuits around heart disease, because that's an important topic we need to cover as well. But I do thank you for sharing your life story with our, our listeners. And I hope they found and, and got some benefit from, and I know they found and got some, because I know I did, from the story and your journey in life as well. I want Absolutely. To- and if, if they want to learn more, they can go to BIPOCmedicine.com, which is my website. A lot, it shows a lot of my writings and, and story there. If that's Hopefully that will inspire many. 
Sounds great. And we'll make sure we promote yeah. that on uh, in our um, marketing of the, the, the broadcast as well, too. Awesome. Wow. Another episode of Straight Out of Health IT has come to an end. Thank you so much, Dr. Branch, for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to share your life's journey with us and your challenges, your triumphs, your overall perspective of what's happening, you know, in our industry. It was extremely insightful. And I think I took quite a bit of uh, nuggets of wisdom wisdom from you uh, in this uh, in this episode. So I, I'd want to give you a chance to kind of finalize or provide some words of wisdom or thoughts that you might think would be of value to folks who are entering to the healthcare field or just in journey in life as you go through challenges and and um, and issues as we try to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. So I'll. Turn it over to you and let you uh, share your final thoughts. Absolutely. And thank you again for this platform. I, I'm exceptionally grateful. So, you know, my final thoughts, some of the final points uh, that I've learned along the way is that, you know, your journey is your own, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what you're pursuing. And, you know, it's important to have a mission, but understand that you're going to be led in your purpose, exactly. um, that you don't always have control. And I do think it's important to kind of stay in your lane and kind of get a good sense of what your lane is. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that are going to happen in your life that you just can't fight. But you, it's important to kind of continue to believe in yourself, to continue to love yourself and take breaks when you need them. But don't stop and get help and, and recognize when it is time to get help. And sort of another point is kind of at the end of the rainbow, you know, what you realize is true is that the goal that you're seeking is actually inside you. Absolutely. So that final destination that you think is you're going to get that final pot of gold, it's it's been in you the whole time. And so if you can just embrace that, embrace the journey, it's par for the course, continue to love yourself and those that show love to you and keep your circle you know, uh, be intentional about those around you and about your goals. And I think that's, that's it. We don't always have an answer, but I think at least there's some type of guide that we can follow. Well, what, what, what a great piece of advice. It is definitely all about the journey and not necessarily the destination. And I think if you enjoy the process, you grow from it, uh, you become wiser, hopefully wiser and more experienced, um, yes. behind, you know, those, those things you've been able to overcome. So again, Dr. Branch, I really appreciate your time. I want you back on as well, too. There's so many other topics I want to cover with you. So expect another invitation and next season's episodes of Straight Out of Health IT. And again, to everyone who's listening, thank you again for your continued support. This wraps up this show. As you know, you can find us on all the different podcast medias. Uh, Please uh, share with your colleagues and your associates. Let's make this particular episode go viral. Thank you so much. Have a great day and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Straight Outta Health IT. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For more unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers, be sure to tune in next week. For the show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. We invite you to give us feedback by reaching out to Christopher Cunny on LinkedIn, just searching for Straight Outta Health IT, and you'll find us. 
we are constantly having live discussions about diverse topics in the industry. 